Welcome to Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast where the sacred and profane come out to play. So call the quarters and set the round. It's time for another episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Invoking Witchcraft. My name is Jay. I'm one of your co-hosts, and I am here with the lovely... Britton. Hi. Hi. We're very happy to be here today, and I wanted to tell you, Britton, happy Pride Month. Oh, yes. Happy Pride Month. Yeah, so in this recording, um, y'all will hear it in the future, but today is June 1st. Happy Pride. So it's there. I am just getting exponentially gayer by the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, very excited about it. Yeah. So Pride Month is always like, I always have such a squishy soft spot for it because this is also kind of the time of year where I also came out as well. And like Pride oh. was really instrumental in that. It was really the first time I went to a place where I got to see other people that look like me and got to see like other men holding hands and not being like screamed at or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So I have such fond memories of, of pride. And have have you gone to a pride before? You know, I, I'm going to maybe piss some people off. I I have some issues with uh, Portland queer Uh, community. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That makes sense. Um, It's it's very, um, it's difficult to say the least. Yes. So I just kind of avoided it and like kept to my own little like circle community of people and just kind of just didn't do it. Right. And I'm kind of like not a, a goer tour to things like to just like <laughs> I, I just avoid like Oregon Country Fair, for example. I've lived in oh, Oregon yeah. for 14 years. I've never gone to Oregon Country Fair. I've I never just, gone either. Everyone keeps telling me I have to. It always just seems very expensive. And I'm like, yeah, I, it's uh, crazy. So I just kind of like avoid large crowds and festival-y things. I'm, I'm just kind of right. like, eh, I'm going to go hide under a rock. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> under, a under a rock. rock. <laughs> right, exactly. It'll be a rainbow rock, but we, we can hide underneath it. It's totally cool. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love that. All right, so I think we should just bring on our guests because I am yes. so very excited. And I'm, we have so much to talk about. We have so much to talk about. And this is a person that I've wanted to have on this podcast for so long. And their work has meant so much to me on my path. And so I'm so happy to have them here. Um, so everybody, please welcome Erica Buenaflor. Hi, Erica. How are you doing? Hi, Jay. Hi, Britton. So happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited as well. Good. Yay. good. I always love um, just having you around. You always have wonderful things to say. And I love your energy and I love your presence in this community. Mm-hmm. So thank you for all, all your work um, and just for being here for being here. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Um, So you are our first guest on here who is a curandera. Um, And so I want to talk all about this. I want to find out all about this. Um, So can you tell folks here kind of right out of the gate, like, you know, what is curanderismo and what, or or who is a curandera or a curandero? So at its core, curanderismo is a Latin American shamanic healing practice. Curanderics, like basically we are, our primary mode is we're healers. We're understood as healing, but we use mm-hmm. many, many, many modalities in doing that. Everything from journey work to do, working with plants to 
even doing like shape shifting. I mean, that has been recorded and doing things like that. It's or and doing magic, of course, too. Because every Kurandarex that I worked with, they always taught me about like, oh, something got thrown this person's way or that person's way. So like magic, it's it's a very, very important. It's like at its essence because nothing is separate from that. Mm-hmm. But a big a big uh, focus in it is is healing the person that comes to you. You know, and not assessing it from a space of like, okay, well, this is, you know, your stomach and this is why it's happening to you or this is why this person broke. Like everything is holistically approached with, especially Mm -hmm. with Ruhedia, you know, that like those things are very much intertwined worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. And a lot of times people think that like, you know, that that like curanderos or, or, or curanderismo is like, if you're talking about kind of like something that's like, only this, I'm having trouble with words and Mercury retrograde, but, but people like to kind of put it in this little box, but there's so much that goes into it. Like you're talking about, like it's, it's magic. It's also massage and herbalism and, um, you know, all this stuff that goes into it. And like a lot of time, basically doctors at the same time as being like spiritual workers. And there's so many different facets of it. It's so big that that's something that's always really fascinated me about the practice too. Well, a huge, a huge part of that is because when um, the Spaniards came to the Americas, there were like hundreds, if not thousands of different specialties within what they characterized and loved into curanderismo. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's basically like if they liked you, you were a curanderex. You know, they didn't say yeah. they said curandero, curandera, you know. But if they didn't like you, you were, you were a sorcerer, a bruje, brujería. You were practicing mm-hmm. brujería. So it was very mm-hmm. much like, these huge, like hundreds of categories got lumped into curanderismo. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not necessarily, can't be presumed that if you go to curanderex that they're going to necessarily practice the same way or do the same thing. There are some commonalities being that you're going there to get mm-hmm. healed in some, for something. But that's mm-hmm. like the most fundamental mm-hmm. commonality with all of it. Right. Right. I, it's so funny how, you know, things that went that happened kind of in, in Europe and kind of in, in Mexico or, or Latin America kind of tend to almost parallel each other. They, they tend to be different, but kind of parallel each other in that way. That's kind of like, okay, these people were the ones that we deemed good. And then these ones were the ones that we deemed bad. And so they're witches mm-hmm. and kind of like that very clear divide about like, okay, this is what we're okay with. And this is what we're not okay with from a colonizer perspective, <laughs> you know, of how that works. And so it's so interesting how, how we mirror each other in that part of history a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's, I mean, there's, there's definitely commonalities um, because a lot of the thought processes were very similar. Of course there were differences in how they approached them, but yeah, I mean how they approached it and who they approached. And it's interesting because even in Europe, they had a lot of council that did practice brujeria, did practice magic. Uh, You know, it's not, it's the same thing. I mean, the, the, the rulers here in Mesoamerica, yeah, they had their own council of people that did all kinds of different things and, it's just they they kept it much more over there on the down low. <laughs> right. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, gosh. One of the things that I find so fascinating about you is that you were not always a curandera. In fact, and when I first heard what you used to do, <laughs> I feel like you made a lot more sense, too. But also at the same time, I can't see you. I can and I can't see you in this role. Uh, from being an attorney... And then going to being a curandera, what was that journey like for you? What was that transformation from from attorney to curandera like? 
Okay, so I just want to just preface this with just one kind of like, before I tell you the journey, I would just want to just preface like one little story about my my experience as as an attorney and who I was. I mean, I was very mm-hmm. much, I was, I was known as a bulldog, but at the same time, I had one time the office manager at my law firm, this big law firm that we had came over to me and asked me, you know, cause I used to work, I was, I was, I was always like a little bit eccentric or maybe a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I didn't care. Um, I, I, I had glitter. I had like very blatant, like glitter on my eyeshadow, like eyeshadow glitter and the office manager. And I had just got out of court, you know? So I just, so they knew that I was in court with glitter, you know, yeah. and the office manager comes over to me and says, is that glitter in your eyes? And I looked at her with like really big eyes. I was like, yeah, isn't it fantastic? And then she, looks at me, she looks at me so scared and she's like, oh, no, I couldn't do that. I'm like, no, you couldn't. <laughs> oh, yes. I was, I was, I was always a little out there. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my first, and I knew like my, when I was five years old, I did my first Olympia. When I was eight years old, I was already knowing to work with like bougainvilleas. Like I had a sore throat. Like I already knew like pressure points. I knew those things already. And then I saw my grandmother, you know, you know, they worked a lot with plants, with manzanilla, chamomile, like just basic things. Like I learned a lot of things about, like it was very common, you know, it was very common. It's still very common in a lot of families, like just Uh basic curanderics, like remedies, curanderismo remedies, Right. So I did have a lot of those influences, um, but at the same time where, where I was born, you know, I was in growing up in Chihuahua, Mexico, which is the northern part of Mexico. So I was growing up at the time where Mexico was going under a lot of modernization. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of like my grandmother, for example, my she became a nurse. She went to nursing school because instead of going curanderismo route, she was like, okay, now we're going to go and be a nurse and I still want to heal so it was like seeing mm-hmm. that, and then my my mom and father were both on both sides were the first to go to college. So it was like it was like it was expected to me from like very early on. Even though I had like a really strong connection to healing, like oh, what do you what what profession how what kind of professional are you going to be? There was no whole yeah. question like what would you like to do? Is there anything else that you would like to do? Is like so what are you going to school for? What do you mean? Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was no question. There wasn't a question about that. So, you know, fast forwarding, um, when I was in, in college, I, w- I went to UCLA when it was like very, very, there was a lot of social justice. There was like issues. There was a lot of walkouts from the classes, mm-hmm. um, because they didn't, the, the UCLA did not want to have a Chicanic studies department. So oh. a lot of people like they walked out, they were doing, mm-hmm. they, they did, a, they did a huge, uh, three day, they did a hunger strike. And um, it wasn't until like, they eventually did a, a, a center, a, a Cesar, now they have a department now fast forwarding, but back then they conceded mm-hmm. to a Cesar Chavez center for, to let people have resources for that and to have more classes for that. So I grew up with that, like, well, not grew up with that, but I was like around and really influenced by that. Mm-hmm. So I was like very much like, and I was, and I was also studying curanderismo back then too, like on an academic level too you know, but very much with like a social justice slant. So that inspired Mm -hmm. me to go to law school. You know, so my, I wasn't like this typical, like attorney, like I'm going to go and do this. And I was very eccentric, (laughs) you know, and I was, I was, I was studious. I was, I was, you know, I was like a smart lady. I could get away with stuff like wearing glitter on my eyes. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in my, my second year in law school, I missed my flight 
we, I was with one of my, my friends, my good friends, and we were going down there. I missed my flight and I met this very odd, very cool gentleman, I should say. And um, he actually introduced me to my first mentors. And really? yeah, uh, it was Don Tomas and uh, Barbara who did, who did a sobaderismo and Don Tomas and my, it was like, it was like my, my second limpia with him. And he, he looked at, he asked me, so like, you know, what are you going to do? You know, what are you doing with your life? And I said, oh, you know, I'm in law school. And he looked at me, he just began laughing and I had, I had had platicas with him, you know, heart straightening talks. Huh. So he knew that huh. my great, great grandmother was a curandera. So, um, and he knew that I was very much influenced and that was like a deep passion of mine, a deep love of mine. Mm -hmm. And he laughed at me and he's like, oh, you're not going to like it. And I looked at him and I was <laughs> like, okay, that's fine, but I'm going to be a curandera. That's, that's fine. You know, I'm still going to do this. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it was, it was like, it was about, I want to say a little, almost seven years that I continued going down to Mexico to study with them you know, doing my mentorship, wow. like every four, six months. And during that time I was already becoming an attorney. I was already, so I was very much living different lives, you know, and I was yeah. very disassociated from myself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Very much. I'm mean, like, even though like I was, I, I bought crystals in my office, I did healing work. I, I taught healing classes too. I still kept those worlds very separate. Mm -hmm. You know, I did certain things. I did certain, like when I, when I needed certain things to happen, I did certain things. Um, but anyway, you know, like in terms of like my court cases and stuff like that, but nothing, nothing to, um, to influence situations in about 2005, I was hiking and I was, um, I did a very, very intense journey. I slipped and I woke up being airlifted. I found out I had a skull fracture, a brain hemorrhage, oh, no. uh, left AC dislocated, Two vertebrae in my back fractured. I completely shattered my co coccyx. Left leg, I fractured in three places. Right leg, knee down, all of my bone shattered and came out of my heel. Um, oh, and, my god! Yeah. I mean, they, they told me I was going to be in pain the rest of my life. They're like, sorry, your coccyx is shattered. But nothing we can do about that. Um, I also got severe osteomyelitis because when they put the bones back in my heel, they didn't do a culture. So after three demeanments, <sighs> they, they told me they were going to amputate my foot. I might get to keep my foot, but it was at that time. And I'll, you know, I'll talk a little bit, you know, if you, if you guys want like about the don, but like, yeah. I embraced like my gift of healing. I yeah. knew that because I think up until that time, I didn't know why I was mentoring the way I was mentoring. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I loved it, but I didn't see myself doing like, like doing this like full time. I was like, I was always trying to find a way. I, I didn't know. I just was like, okay. I doubted a lot too. I doubted mm -hmm. like a lot of the mm -hmm. coincidence that would happen. I would say, oh, that's odd. You know, this happened. And, you know, it was like I would meet the people right at the same time. Like things would fall into alignment. And I doubted it a lot. I was mm -hmm. constantly doubting mm -hmm. myself, constantly doubting myself. So I knew that if I continued to doubt myself, I was going to be handicapped the rest of my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's when I was like, okay, I, I, I am totally like surrendering to this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was in a wheelchair for almost a year, but during that time I put into practice everything that I learned and then some, mm -hmm. um, and after not walking for almost a year, I walked with a completely normal gait in less than two weeks. Wow. wow. And during that time, wow. you know, cause I, I had, I had all the doctors would come and tell me like, Oh, like it was constantly like bombarding me with negative things, you know, except yeah. one doctor. 
one surgeon, super, super cool. And I, I had to just like be like, nope, I'm going to be fine. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know me. You know, I, I just had to be very like disciplined with that. And like, like, nope, 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 nope. I don't accept that. Um, and during that time, the only time I ever cried was, was thinking that I had to go back to work as an attorney. Like, I was like, I don't want to do that. I was like, like, I don't, cause I knew, I knew. And then, um, then fast forwarding, like the moment, like I was able to like, uh, I was like, I had my last surgery in October. The next month I went down to back to the Yucatan. I actually climbed mm-hmm. like one of the, the second highest temples, Galakmul. You know, my, 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 lit, my foot like looked like a potato afterwards, but then I met my third mentor, Malina, you know, I met her and that's when she, she was, she's an amazing, amazing lady. And she was very like, like really strong spirited. And she just, she like, we were all sitting there for breakfast and I don't, she just did something to me where she pulled me in, into like another space and she just locked eyes with me. And she was like, you know, so Erika are you living your happiness, bliss, and joy? And I just, I just like, I, I couldn't, I knew I wasn't. So I mm-hmm. said to her and I was like, well, I'm a very happy person. Yeah, I, I'm a happy person. And she said, no, are you living your bliss, joy, and happiness? And I couldn't answer her. I couldn't I answer have chills. her. I, I, have could, chills. I couldn't answer her. So when I went back to LA two weeks later, I, I gave my resignation. I uh-huh. actually organized because I was already teaching classes. I was, I was, I had clientele doing the work that I do as a curandera. I actually uh-huh. organized my first retreat to the Yucatan in 2008. Um, and from there it was like ebbing and flowing and finding myself. So I would say like my path to doing what I do was incredibly like difficult and painful and beautiful at the same time. Cause it was mm-hmm, a lot right. of, resistance, a lot of, um, cause there's a lot of prejudice against indigenous people in Mexico. And a lot of my family is, uh-huh. Mexi- me- they're Mexicanos. So it's, um, you know, we're right on the border where the Taramaros are, uh, the indigenous people there. So we see them and, um, like I heard things about them, like, like growing up, I heard things about them, like negative things about them. Like, Oh no, uh-huh. they don't want to work. They're like, and I grew up thinking like, I'm embracing a part of myself that is completely indigenous. At like, mm. you know, and this is not something that was really supported a lot by my family members. I love them. They're beautiful people. Mm. But they, it wasn't something like they're like, you know, that I went from like somebody they were proud to have like, oh, she's an, she's an attorney. Now it's like a curandera, like what? <laughs> <laughs> right. So it was, it was a beautiful and incredibly painful and difficult process all at the same time. So, but it was yeah. definitely a process for me to really like heal my, my, myself and embrace myself. And it took 18 years for myself to finally come out of the closet and say, I am a curandera. I'm mm. practicing for that long, 18 years to be like, this is who I am. This is what I am. Just like really coming out to my, like, just, some, I, I was doing limpias, but I didn't yeah mm-hmm. identify myself as a curandera. Mm-hmm. So that's, 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 that's a story in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> that is so beautiful and amazing and also at the same time terrifying uh, and yeah. wonderful what a journey uh, such a journey and i love that story because sometimes it's it's one of those those moments where something so much bigger than ourselves gets involved 
And it's kind of like, this is where you need to be. Or kind of like that moment where your mentor said that to you. It's like, there are, there are these moments in life where I swear that just like God or the divine or, or whatever it is just kind of speaks through somebody. And it's like, you can feel it in the words. Like, it's like, oh, there's so much <laughs> just right there. Like, oh, just comes mm-hmm. right at you. I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you. You had many mentors. You went down back and forth um, in Mexico, coming back. Um, so at what point did you feel qualified to be a curandera? And 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 what, what does qualify somebody to take on a title like that? I, I've heard things like you're officially a curandero or a curandera when uh, – when the the community begins to call you that, but then also I've heard different takes on it. And I I do like your take on it. So I I would like you to kind of share either both when you felt like it and when you feel like the time is right in general. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like it's, it's like in context, there is, I mean, it, it is definitely a sense of like community embracing you in some way. Um, and it really has to do with the sense of, um, you know, being embraced as that. Because I, I know that we all have the gift of healing on some level, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's healing our plants, healing ourselves, healing, healing. But it's also like having the um, ethical responsibility to do it in a way that honors the community, honors, and that's a big part of it too. It's like whatever community that you're at is like the community and says like, yeah, you're cool. What's up? You know, like... So there's that. And also like the willingness to be able to do it as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I think for me, it was, I know for me, it was, it was, even though I was told that that's what I was, and I knew there, I knew who I was. I knew I was that, but for me, it was a lot. And and for a lot of us too, it's moving past imposter syndrome. You know, can I do this? Do I have the right to do this? A lot of that. And that's, that's a big thing. That's a big thing for a lot of, a lot of contemporary because even like you you go back to like the very the, the first like really well-known curanderics like for example Nino Ferencia who was mm-hmm. in the um, early 20th century he um, it was just basically him coming out and say I was told that I have the bone and he healed hundreds of people he healed people without anesthesia like he just healed hundreds of people and it was a community that embraced him as that and then um, Jaramillo, Jaramillo also too, like also in the 21st century in Texas and Texas, like the community, he healed hundreds of people in a clinic there, started it up. And it was that he had a huge accident and he was told that he had the gift of healing from God, the don, and he just said, okay. And a lot of his recipes involved mud, you know, water and earth. And, and that's how he healed. And, you know, another one too, Santa Teresa, she was, uh, she she had, after she was raped when she was 16, she kept having seizures. And mm-hmm. in her last seizure, she woke, she was in a coma and uh, waking up, you know, she was in, the family thought that she had passed. So they were having a wake for her. And during the wake, she got up from her coffin and she said, you know, she, she gave a premonition and that's when she started healing. So it's just one of those things that the person, there has to be a willingness. There has mm-hmm. to be discipline. There has to be mm-hmm. a willingness to practice, practice, practice. Because mm-hmm. no matter how much your mentors teach you, you have to learn to be present and you have to be disciplined mm-hmm. to be absolutely present, to not assume that just because you may be hearing similar, you know, characteristics that are, that are wrong with the person, that you're fully present and allowing yourself to be guided 
allowing yourself to, to know the knowledge that you have. So it's a lot of practicing, a lot of learning. And honestly, the, the big thing about curanderismo is that you never stop learning. You know, even now when I go to the Yucatan, I still learn. I still take an opportunity to learn from other curanderics there. I'm, I'm still, you know, whatever it is, I always take the opportunity to learn. And that's, that's a responsibility that, you know, that we take on ourselves to do that. So it's just a lot of different factors. You know, it's like community. It's like being, working with integrity that you are like continuously like developing your skills, developing your learning, and that you can say like, you know, somebody comes to me, like, for example, somebody came to me recently with issues of fertility. And I said, you know, honey, this is not necessarily my specialty. I have helped people, but I know this wonderful partera, midwife, that that is very familiar with these traditions. Let me refer you to her. So it's like being mm-hmm. like working with integrity in that way too. When like there is something that specialized that like you, you, okay, this is where I'm at. Let me tell you, let me show you my cards. And it's a lot of different things, but definitely, you know, you like, you have to know that you're working with integrity. The community has to like have and whatever, because the community nowadays, it's like, that can be online. That could be just right. so many different ways of what community is, especially nowadays, mm-hmm. you know? Um, that they feel comfortable with you, that they feel comfortable mm-hmm. that with you, that they there's a sense of trust. There's a yeah. sense of trust um, and that the person is, is continuously like willing to educate themselves. And when there is something that they're not aware of that they're able to like, if they don't know, they say they don't know or they refer to someone that might know. Right. And I think that's such a huge responsibility to be able to not only recognize when you're maybe in over your head or maybe like not qualified at this point, but also not taking that to mean that you aren't valuable or, or worth something in a different section. Right. I I think a lot of times people think that if they simply say, Oh, you know what? Fertility, that's not really a thing that I do so much. Then that kind of disqualifies them from the entire arena, but that's not always necessarily the case. Um, And I love too, that you're talking about, you know, being ready to take on the responsibility. Cause I think sometimes people think that spiritual titles are just like identifiers just to like, let people know kind of like what flavor of magic they do or whatever. But when, when you call yourself a curandero or curanderex or, or, you know, when we take on that title, there's so much responsibility that goes in with that. There's, you know, there's healing work that needs to be done out in the world that needs to be taken. So, so seriously, cause it's so important. And knowing that that also means too, like, you know, not only handling that, but also having the boundaries around that as well and being able to do it healthily for you. Like there's, there's so much that goes into it so much like responsibility, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Okay. So this is something that you've mentioned a couple of times is the Don. Can you tell people um, what that is? um, Like what its significance is and and kind of why it's, why it's important. So the don is, uh, it's known as the gift of healing from God. And curanderics, we receive it in many different ways. It's just, we, we get told intuitively. We hear it in a dream. Um, you know, I, I heard it like in dreams, you know, but it's, it's you, you hear it from your teacher, but it's really, even if you hear it from your teacher, it's usually the person feels it, hears it intuitively. Mm-hmm. Like you just know you have like the gift of you, you, you it's this clear cognizance that you know it, that, that, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want to call like spirit, universe, God, you know, whatever, however you want to call that higher power, 
that, that you know intuitively that it's coming forward as, as the don. So the gift of healing, it's, it's really, cause even if when I, we hear it like, oh, you have the gift of healing, the person has to be ready to have the devotion to do it, the willingness to do it and the discipline to do it, to embrace the don. Because, you know, without those things, it's it's the discipline to say, okay, I'm going to continue practicing, practicing, practicing. I'm going to continue learning, learning, learning. It's it's going back to that, you know, what I was mentioning, what you were mentioning too, is the responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, the responsibility of, of continuing to um, learn and embrace it in different ways and, and realize like, okay, which tools are working with you, want to work with mm-hmm. you. And which, mm. you know, Olympia tools, like want to, um, want to work with you. Healing tools want to work with you. Which one resonate with you? Which ones, you know, like recognizing that too, because there's different, different ways and different modalities, um, I would say in, in practicing the don, the gift of healing from God. That is so interesting. And so you knew kind of at an early age too, you were talking about that you were, you were kind of doing the, the, the Olympias early on. Um, so did when along the way do you do you think you you really fully understood that, that you had the dawn? Was it like in childhood or was it later on? I would definitely say it was in childhood. You know, because I mm-hmm. well, the thing is, is that sometimes what would happen is, is that when I would work, when I would be around certain people, I would get the pains that they were having. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and one of the things that I had, it's um, I don't know the word in English. It's called ryumas. It's like like really horrible cramps. Like at a very mm-hmm. young age, I would get them and. I was, I knew the acupressure points. I would like literally tie socks around my, my ankles and around my, my calves to like stop those pains to tie it. And I would take like lemon and salt and I would just, I, I knew to do those things. And I, mm-hmm. I, and I, I was aware, but I just, you know, I didn't have, um, you know, cause when we, we moved to Los Angeles from to Mexico, uh, when I was about six years old, then we moved to El Paso. We were there for about till I was about nine years old. And then when we moved to Los Angeles, I was completely away from all my family. And I didn't have brothers and sisters. So I just talked to my plans. I talked to, you know, I didn't, I didn't have anyone to like talk about like, this is what's going on with me. I, but I knew it was going on. I knew yeah. it was going on. I just was like, mm, okay, I didn't. And I, but I knew enough not to like share it with certain people too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Because I, I didn't. I was like, okay, they're gonna know that I'm a weirdo, and I, I don't want them quite to know I'm such a weirdo. <laughs> Not just yet. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. We're gonna save that for for the people that that need to know <laughs> the, the good people. Oh my gosh. Okay, I love that. I love that. And it's so interesting how it just kind of shows up for people you just kind of know it's just kind of embedded in you that knowledge or whether it's like in the DNA or whether it's just kind of absorbed from the ether, it just kind of shows up this, this knowing. Um, and I think that's so interesting as, to hear people talk about that kind of like, I don't know how I knew. I just knew, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. interesting. Okay. So coming back down to some um, terminology here, um, can you tell folks um, what is a Olympia? So um, Olympia is essentially thought of something that opens up pathways for you, that heals, that clears, and um, that is the tool that you use, that the, the methodology you use to actually heal the person. 
Mm-hmm. And because there's there may be so many reasons, so many things involved in how to heal the person, the tools are going to look very different. You know, like as I as as you mentioned too, it could definitely involve like sobaladismo, which is like like touching. You know, like like mm-hmm. massage with like energy work and different things like that. It could involve like working with herbs. It could involve doing candle work. It could involve working with water. So. It, it could involve so many different things and also even doing like card readings too. And then following up with something like, okay, this is what you need to do thereafter. Mm-hmm. This is, this is how, what you need to do. It's, it's, um, it's something that it's Olympia, like it cleanses, it cleans things out of the way. That's what it, it's, it means in, in English, right? So Olympia is to, to clean, it's to clean and how, how we use it. There's so many different ways, so many different things that we can use to clean for that. And, in terms of like, and this is, this is important because like, what's really like to tune into, like when I was recommend, like, you know, I don't know when people say to me like, Oh, I, I, I want to like start doing limpias, but I'm not sure about this. Or I ask them, I say, you know, I was recommend this is, this is, you know, related to limpias and how we start working with them is we really pay attention to which tools are calling us. And which ones we have like are most abundant for, for us. Like right now I have a lot of lemons in my backyard and my trees, a lot of lemons. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, I will get like, or I have like a lot of rosemary and I will get insight. And my last session was like very clear that the rosemary like came in my mind's eyes. Like, oh, this person needs, you know, a, a, a sweet, a barida, a sweet with, with rosemary. So it's like really, it's, it's, there's many ways to use it, many way, different things to do. Um, it's mm-hmm. allowing ourselves to really be present with the tool. And of course, like mm-hmm. there's certain methodologies that we learn, but really um, paying attention, like what the person's telling you and what you're getting into, like, okay, what do you have access to? Cause it's believed mm-hmm. that when you're doing this and someone comes to you, you always have what you need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's so interesting how so many different things will converge to make that happen. Whether it's like you're saying, like the training and the methodology, or it's the fact that so many lemons have been growing in in your yard. Um, I I know someone who's an herbalist who says that she always knows what kinds of um, sicknesses are coming or things that that might need help in the coming year based on what plants are growing suddenly in abundance. Mm-hmm. She'll be like, oh, there's a bunch of mullein this year. You know, that might mean heavy fire season, smoke. You know, things like that. You know, because it's a it's a big lung healer. Um, so, and then at the same time, intuition as well, and that guidance, all of that kind of converges to make this happen. It's like, I, I love this practice because you don't ever really feel alone in it. So much has lined up to, to make that moment happen. And to have that trust to go, I'm feeling rosemary. There's a reason for this. And to go with it, or like, you know, you were talking earlier about mud, you know, it's so easy to go like mud. What? That seems weird. I'm probably not going to do that. But like having the trust to go, there's a reason why there is mud, why I'm feeling the need to use the mud, you know, like so much comes together for it that I think people don't understand a lot of the time. Well, and I I feel that that's too, like even people that have like a inclination to want to do this work is that a big thing is to go beyond the doubt Go beyond the, the mm. monkey chatter so the monkey chatter doesn't get away of our in our intuition and allowing ourselves to be fully present with that. And and even like with the with the other person that might be like, um, 
whether they're willing to to receive, you know, the messages, but willing to receive the limpias and whatever else is needed. You know, because I I remember I took one um, long, long time ago, like 2009, I took a somebody that I was doing a retreat with, I, the person that I was co-facilitating a retreat with, I took her to um, one of my last mentors, Don Fernando, and she was going through a difficult time in her life. Um, and he he recommended one of the things is like, okay, you know, tonight you're going to have to sleep in a hammock. You know, we had access to a hammock and, you know, you, underneath you have to put tobacco, you have to put vodka, there's there's a candle, you're going to light it. And, um, and I was, you know, I did my thing, like he, I was doing my homework that he was asking me to do. And then I see her go lying in her bed. And I said, honey, you're not going to do what, you know, what you were, you were, what was recommended. She's like, oh no, I'm not doing that. And I was just like, hmm. You know, just, just hmm, like, okay. <laughs> Cause that, I mean, those things, there's, there's a reason why the mentors are ta- giving us certain homework, certain mm-hmm. things that we have to do because it facilitates all of that. So there's, there's trust on both sides, trust on both, yeah. you know, the practitioner and also the person that's receiving it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, there's that, that trust. And that's why that, that big thing of like the community, like says like, yes, you have the don. You are a curandera. You are a curandera. You are a curandero. Curandera. It's like there has to be that that trust on both sides for for that to really facilitate the healing or whatever else is going on that's needed as well. Absolutely, we have to ask because of the state of the community here. Um, can people who are not Latino learn about curanderismo or practice it? Or do limpias? Is is this something that is allowed? Are there caveats to this? Where how how do we feel about this? So I mean, historically, there have been uh, curanderics that were that were non Latinx. They were, I mean, they were because I mean, we had a lot of immigration into Mexico from a lot of mm-hmm. different places. There were actually yeah. people that were Jewish that were not you know, Mexicanos at like, and they were studying and they were, they were practicing as curanderics. So historically you can always find curanderics that were non-Latinx. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, like if you look, they're they're there, they're there. I mean, even, I even learned of somebody who was Japanese that learned this too. Like it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, they're there and they've always been there historically. I think the way with the state of affairs, it's, it's very interesting that I find it very, um, what, what I find concerning in all of this is that after hundreds of years of not being able to practice our practices and, you know, mm-hmm. like to a point where we were, um, I mean, we, 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 we were tortured, literally tortured, yeah, tortured, mm-hmm. you know, put in jail, like burned, like they were doing the same things here, like, like putting, like, so, like uh, so many horrible things and, and put into like, just so penalized by the community, ostracized by the community after so many hundreds of years of that, mm. that we are now at a point that we can practice our traditions. I find it very um, concerning for me that now there's this whole thing because of like, oh, wait, you're appropriating, you're, you're, you're taking of this, you're practicing things. I think that there can be things like when it's done without respect. Mm-hmm. When it's mm-hmm. done without respect, when you're not like honoring, like this is where I learned it from. This was my mm-hmm. teacher. This is how I learned mm-hmm. it. You know, that you you mm-hmm. divulge that information. So you're giving respect. You're you're showing props to the people that you learned it and from the traditions that that you learned it from. 
So it's not just mm-hmm. a taking without honoring. And of course you ask, is it, can I do this? Am I allowed to do this? So, mm-hmm. you know, like, well, that's, that's somewhat like a, like an answer in terms of like, has it been done by other Latin, Latinx folks? Yes. So for anyone to say that, oh, no, you can't do it. I'm like, well, you got to look at the historical records because that's been done by a lot of, I mean, a lot, like even Moorish people, they were practicing too in their own different mm-hmm. ways too. Um, people from, the, there's been a lot of flow and immigration into Mexico, into different parts of Latin America. You know, I can't speak mm-hmm. for all of Latin America, but I can definitely speak for Mexico. You know, Mexico, yeah. I can definitely speak for that, that to say that it's anyone who is non-Latinx camp practices well, that's been done for like hundreds of years. Right. That they were right. they were very gifted and skilled. I think what's what's really important is that we show respect. We honor our teachers. We honor our mentors mm-hmm. and we say, This is where I learned it. This is, you know, this is what I learned it from. And these, if you have limitations, you recognize that and you do it with like grace and humility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I love, I love that take on it because I've, I, there's all this stuff has started coming up about, you know, everyone's got like their ancestry percentages that they have from their DNA and like thinking that that's a certain pass or, or, or a blockage to something or other. And I, even after my book came out, I had so many people, these wonderful, wonderful little babes that are like, um, I'm only like 85% Mexican and I only lived in Mexico until I was 12. Um, but I was told that because I'm, I'm light skinned or I'm not 100% Mexican or I'm not still living in Mexico that I can't do this practice because the spirits will get mad at me or think that I look like a colonizer or things like that. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I am so sorry. Like, cause that's, I, I don't feel like that's right. And I, I love what you're talking about, about it really comes down to respect. Mm, mm-hmm. Are you handling this in a respectful manner? Are you are you learning in the way that you should be and honoring it in the way that you should be? Like that's the key part of it for me so much. And I think that's more important than what your ancestry DNA percentages came out to a lot of the time. It's it's you know, are you handling this with love and with care and respect? So important. Yeah, I mean even when um even when Bernal Diaz del Castillo and Hernán Contes, the conquistadors, they first came to Mexico, they wrote in their letters to Spain that there were people that, that had light hair, blonde hair, and had green eyes. Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's a lot, there, there's a question to that. There, there may have been an African-Mexican connection before the Spaniards mm-hmm. came here. Maybe even, you know, people say maybe Vikings, maybe Asian, like the Bering Straits, like there has been a lot of connection to say that it has to be this way. It's, it's, it's very problematic. It's very problematic. Mm-hmm. The world indigenous people don't look one way. What happened is, is that a lot of indigenous people, they started claiming Spanish, but because they didn't want to be enslaved. Because mm-hmm. when the Spanish mm-hmm. came here, they enslaved the indigenous people. But what happened is that they, they, they weren't, they didn't do very well with all the diseases. So that's when they brought in a lot of like African folks to like take, take that place. But mm-hmm. during that time, a lot of indigenous people were like, oh no, we have, I have more Creole blood. I have more, I'm more Spanish. I'm more this. Like they claimed Spanish blood because they didn't want to be enslaved or they didn't want to be casted into a system. And that has still been the case too. There's a pigmentocracy mm-hmm. still 
in Mexico. And now it's interesting that like there's a reverse. Well, it's not reverse, but it's still like, oh, well, you don't look this way. So you can't be this way. Point is, Mm -hmm. is that if you look at the history records, we didn't all, we all look different. Just say just because we have our hair looks like in a certain way or our skin looks a different way. No, it's it's what comes back to like, no, let's just take it to respect. Uh-huh. Let's take mm. it to respect and just be respectful of one another and, uh-huh. and recognize that, you know, there have been people look different in different ways. And just because we look a certain way doesn't mean that we are that. Uh-huh. You know? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, it's so hard to tell. And it's interesting that you bring up the idea that people were um, claiming to be Spanish and how that carries over even to today, up until the day that my grandmother died, she would be like, we are not Mexican. We are Spanish. We are Spanish. And like, cause her mom was that same way too. Um, And like, even like my aunts and stuff like that too. Like, no, 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 no. We're Spanish. We're Spanish. Um, That stuff goes deep and then gets carried forward really intensely. My grandmother also used to tell people that she was Hawaiian um, because she was very dark and and had the brown hair and the brown eyes and, and all of that. And and she and her sister was kind of the same way too. They used to just kind of like make up different identities around it um, because some that stuff, it carries forward and people don't realize how much that continues to go on. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. I mean, even growing up, I remember... The, the man that my mom remarried, I was told it's like, oh, well, you, you're lucky that you're not going to look so much like an Indio, like an, a, an uh-huh. like indigenous person, you know, because uh-huh. your father looked very indigenous. You know, my mom looked very light skin. My father, like, look, he looked like, yeah, indigenous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's still like said to, to this day, very much so, you know, family, uh-huh. oh, Spanish, Spanish, light skin. It's like, hmm. <laughs> absolutely absolutely you know it's it always carries forward uh okay so we have to we have to kind of wrap up a little bit here on this first part of this but i do i've always wanted to ask you because i I, i'm sure at some point along the way it's happened because i've me learning to do uh what we call la soplada with the the florida water it has not always gone well for me (laughs) I'm not very good at it. Do you have a funny story? Well, first, can you tell people what, what this, this kind of technique is? And then do, do you by any chance have a funny story? Um, maybe while learning this or someone you knew, cause I've, I've never been good at it. So, you know, the soplada, it's basically, it comes from, um, you know, we blow out like it's either Florida water or rose water, some kind of like cleansing water and we blow it out of our mouths. You know, it's, it's believed that the, the breath, the blowing, like clears away like any like dense energy, suck energy. It just, it just helps like whatever the limpia, right? Um, and then the, 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 the Maya even goes a step further. A lot, of, well, at least from the Yucatec Mayan, like my mentors taught me that, um, that the, the saliva is also sacred too. <laughs> but the thing is, is that it can't go past your teeth. And, um, you know, I, I want to say like, you know, I was thinking about that and um, in terms of, you know, it, it has gone, I've been, I've been fortunate. Like I think in class, like there've been classes where one time I did like 30 people, I did like Olympia for 30 people. And like, oh, wow. like, I think my, my, like I was, I kept talking funny. Cause like I, my, my, the tip of my, 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 my uh, lip was like numb, but I think like the, the, the silliest story was, um, I don't know. Okay. My, my dog, 
Okay, this is going to sound a little silly. Um, I, I have my 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 dog and my cat. They're like my kids. Okay, they're like my yeah. furry kids. I love them. And my dog is, you know, when I have a, a sessions with people, like he always wants to stay in the room with me. And he looks at me like, Mom, I can help you. I know how to do this stuff, you know? <laughs> so like, you know, these are years. So I'm like, honey, you got to go. You got to go. And, um, you know, there was one time where he, like I was doing, I was doing a limpia for my husband. I was doing it with the, with the soplada, you know, with, and I did that. And he like jumps on the couch. Like he was like, I want to do it. And I was like, and I was like, are you sure? You know, and I it was like, are you sure, Bahira? Like, you know, I was like, are you sure? So, you know, I began like blowing at him. He got like totally scared. His eyes like got back like, and he went in the closet and he's like, he was like, are you scared? Like, are you mad at me, mom? <laughs> oh, no. Especially because that's a lot coming right at you when you're a dog, no. too. <laughs> <laughs> so I never did that one again to, to him. <laughs> that's so funny. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I think I just need a lot more practice with it. And it, and it's true. You have to keep it in front of your teeth. Because if it goes past that, then it's just, it's just, it's, you just got to start over again. Because, yes, but to get like the very, the nice mist and not just like at somebody can be very, yeah. very difficult. I need to spend some time. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this has been wonderful. We cannot wait to have you back here for part two. So everybody stay tuned for another episode with Erica here. In the meantime, go out and buy all of her books. Um, Her first book, Cleansing Rites of Cuarenterismo, was a complete game changer for me and for a lot of folks um, walking this path. And then you have another one on Cuarenterismo Soul Retrieval. And then a third, which is um, animal medicine, which we're going to be talking about in the next episode. I have my copy right here. Um, it says, Animal Medicine, a Cuarenterismo Guide to Shapeshifting, Journeying, and Connecting with Animal Allies. And so run out, grab the books. And oh, is there is there another one coming? It's, that's my fourth book. I have a third one. Oh, that's your fourth book? Where? Oh, the, the Sacred Energies of the Sun and Moon, right? Yes, yes. Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so that was, so the animal one is the fourth book. I always forget about that one. Cause that's the one that I don't have. I'm going to have to go out and get that one. Cause it's, it's a good one. It's a good one. Ah, so yes, go get all the books. In the meantime, next week, we will be back with Erica um, to dive further into this wonderful conversation. So thank you so much, Erica, for being here. Thank you. Support for this podcast comes from our listeners. If you would like to support Invoking Witchcraft with a one-time donation, please go to invokingwitchcraft.com backslash donate. Or if you'd like to become a premium listener, join the coven at invokingwitchcraft.com backslash coven. There you'll get access to our exclusive Facebook group for discussion and connection, as well as access to occasional workshops. We hope to see you there.